Welcome to SGTM Talks. We hope you find this encouraging and inspiring. Ephesians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ." In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. The word of the Lord. It's lovely to be here, lovely to be back. I've been away for a few weeks at St Pancras, um, uh, but um, I've, I'm back, I'm home. Um, and if you, if you don't know me, I'm Peter, I'm the uh, curate here. And we're starting a series on Ephesians today, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Um, but it is, uh, even when you have a as reader as great as Marisha is, it's a bit of an overwhelming experience, that, that, over, that, that opening chapter. Ephesians as a whole seems just to pile blessing on blessing on blessing. It's full of words like highest and fullest and greatest. Um, It's a kind of cosmic-sized IMAX immersive surround sound overview of what God has done. And it's meant to be. It's meant to be. Um, In the translation that you're looking at and that Marisha read um, uh, for us, they've put something in to the text which isn't there in the original. Full stops. (laughs) 
there's only two full stops um, in, 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 the, uh, in the original. So that the clauses just go on and on and on and on. In the original, you see you've got two paragraphs with little, little headers in your, um, uh, in your text. Start at verse 3 and it runs to about verse 14 or something. That's one sentence. And then uh, the next one, 15 to 23, that's another sentence. And it's like Paul just can't stop himself. He just piles claws on claws and claws. And you don't know which the main clause is, which means you don't quite know where the focus is, and it all feels a bit much. Well, I think this isn't bad grammar. Um, I think this is really deliberate. Paul wants his friends at Ephesus just to be overwhelmed by the bigness of the news that he's got to tell them. Because if they're not overwhelmed, they'll somehow have kind of contained it in their heads. Um, They'll be able to say, yes, I I know what that's all about. But if you contain something, you're outside it. You're able to get a detached view of it. You're able to see that it's over there and you're over here. No, says Paul, God's plan is so big for the world, God's plan for the world revealed in the life and death of Jesus is so big that you cannot grasp it or sit outside it. You have to jump in. You have to jump in. You have to spin around. You have to get lost. You have to, get, um, you have to go with the flow. A bit more like whitewater rafting than it is like looking down on the River Colorado from above. Okay. And you can't come to an end of it either because, well, you know, what, where, would the end, where would the end be to God's work? You can't come to a final mental resting place because you're supposed to go on realizing new angles, new insights, new reflections about the whole thing. In the opening sentence, Paul says, from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the grace of God to the saints of the church in Ephesus. But some very, very old manuscripts of um, this letter don't have the words to Ephesus or in Ephesus. There's a blank. What people think is that Paul was intending it for his friends in the church in Ephesus, but he was also intending it for, for them to copy it and to send copies round to lots of other churches. They would pass copies round, so it's a general letter um, uh, to be circulated. So I think you should read to the saints of the church in Ephesus, but I think you should also read it to the saints of the church that meets at Priscilla and Aquila's house in Rome in AD 59, and to the fishermen saints of the Coconut Wood Church of St. Thomas in Palaia, Kerala, circa 260 AD, and to the court saints of um, the House of Mary carving their church from the rock in Lalibela in Ethiopia in 1184, and to the unemployed saints of the small breeze block church on a cold corner of downtown Baltimore in the year of our Lord 1954, and to the saints of the church in Queen Square in London 2023. Paul starts with this great rapturous stream of words because he wants his listeners in our time, in your time, to be carried away. And then once you've been carried away and spun around, to start making unexpected glimpses again of how your time, our time, our place, our work, our money, our suffering, our love, how is this all connected to the great love of God revealed and constantly present in Jesus Christ. So we're beginning a mini-series today, um, reading Ephesians one chapter a week. As we go on in this letter, we're going to see how Paul will show how the big story of what God has done in Christ crosses ethnic and religious divides. 
how it rebalances relations between men and women, how it fosters new kinds of personal sensitivity and awareness of others, how it reflects from parents and children and masters and slaves. But all of that which is to come, all of that about psychology or behavior, starts from this story, the basic realignment of reality and history that God has made in Christ. The reset relationship between God and the world is so fundamental that it then becomes the blueprint for all other relationships, for Christian relationships of mind and body, between insider and outsider, between male and female, our rules about ownership and property. The point is they're all ultimately derived from this new reset relation between God and the world. It is not based on saying, you should behave like this because God made you that way. No, it is not, nor is it based on saying, you should behave like this because God tells you to do it and God's always right. And he says so in his big book of rules. What Ephesians says is that the life and death of Jesus, the life that happened about 20 years ago in Palestine, has now reset the basic pattern for all human relations. And then it says that this was always God's plan. God's way of being with us can work its way into our way of being with others. God's way of being with us works its way out into the whole interpersonal web of human relationships. And that's the glory of what God has done for us in Christ. This one truth retunes us. It resensitizes us. And when we live and breathe and pray it, it allows really very daring realignments of how we live lives of love and grace where we are. Whether we're in Kerala, whether we're in an Ethiopian royal court, whether we're in a space of post-industrial unemployment, whether we're in multicultural, rather lonely London. But the bigness of this big story also means it's quite hard to preach on. There's just far too much to say. So I've got three words to use as handholds as we plunge into the river. Will, spill, and fill. So first, will. Ephesians is obsessed by telling you about what it sees about what God wills. If you glance over that opening chapter, notice how often the word Paul uses the word will or desire or purpose. If I skim read it, it goes like this. God's will has been made to make Paul, 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 the persecutor of Christians, into an apostle. That's because God's fundamental will from the beginning of time has been to bless the world with every blessing, like it says in verse 3. God's will, fundamentally, from the beginning of time before the world was ever made, has been to adopt us through Christ, to make us part of his family. That's verse 5. God's good pleasure, what wonderful phrase, is to bring humankind to himself and for them to be loved with the love that God has for God's self, the love of God the Father for his beloved Son. That's verse 6. God's good pleasure is that you are loved with the love that God has for God's self. God's will is to lavish his grace on us. That's verse 8 to take us out of the economy of earning love or earning approval, 
to bring us into a realm where you are loved before anything else happens. God's will is to bring everything together through that beloved son. Everything on an earth and in the heavens. That's verse 10. Now the pagan world of Ephesus didn't distinguish very clearly between earthly and heavenly powers. It saw outworkings of spiritual powers in soldiers, in rulers, in laws, in emotions, in what we now call social systems, in habits of mind, and also in spirits and angels. So Paul is meaning that God's purpose in Christ is not only for individuals, but for nations, for systems, for habits of mind. All of that to be brought together and find their anchor and purpose in Christ. And ultimately, God wills, what God wants, is that we all, you, me, everyone, reveal his glory. Now, glory is a rather abstract religious word, but you could think of it like this. As we start to believe and breathe and believe this mega story, that love that he has for us starts to work its way out into human life, second by second, in a million billion different bodies and a million billion different moments and a million billion different actions. It starts maybe in the renewed pleasure we take in life when we're maybe less anxious or preoccupied, open enough to notice the world. It ripples out in the joy we take in others being themselves, which of course is an extension of God's joy. It ripples out in the care we might take for people we would otherwise disregard or think are on the wrong side or are enemies. It ripples out in the strength and grit we have to act for justice and to say no to wrong and to fear. It might even ripple out when things are bitter and ugly and wrong and yet we can identify our suffering with Christ, the rejected one and therefore find some strength to keep loving. And it also ripples out back into the simple pleasure we have in sunlight or wind or the taste of peaches or the brightness of a piece of pottery. We become God's glory second by second because his will for us is to be blessed through Christ. And through Christ, we become more fully alive to ourselves, within ourselves, to each other, and to our own time, what is good and bad about it. So that's the big story. We become a rippling out of God's glory, fully alive. So that's will. That's my my summary of, of will. Second, spill. In verse eight, Paul says that we have the forgiveness of our sins, or literally our forgiveness of our falling away through the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in wisdom and foresight. Lavished there is a brilliant English translation of the Greek perisuane, which literally means to spill over, like when you fill a jug up too far and it all goes all over the top. It means overspill. God overspills. Now that's one reason that Paul can't stop his sentences going on and on and on. They overspill one idea into one another because he's caught up in this overspilling God. God in Ephesians is the God who cannot give enough away. 
Paul prays in verse 18 that the eyes of your heart may be opened to see the hope of your calling, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. We are together called to be something which overflows, which shows the overflowing abundance of God's glory. We are, as God's people, called to be something which is as huge and abundant as the Amazon rainforest. As a people being made holy, we are called to be something which is as multifaceted, mutually adaptive, interwoven, multicolored as the Great Barrier Reef, or maybe those deep, cold currents of the Antarctic, which nourishes the entire ocean of the world. This is a different thing from the sense of personal calling to be your thing, to be where you are in your place. That is true and real and so on. But if you only focus on that, you think you have an individual calling. The big picture is that all our individual callings are callings which strengthen and multiply the bonds and the interrelations and the diversities of others. Think of yourself as being called to strengthen the ecosystem to make for abundance in yourself and in others. And all that comes from what Paul just said earlier on about the forgiveness of sins. Sins are what decrease abundance. Sins are where we close each other down, where we steal each other's life, where we wall people up, where we choke the planet, where we crush the spirit. But in Ephesians, God's grace is the sign of God's abundance, his super overspillingness. It's not letting us off grudgingly. Oh, if you really have to. It comes from the overflow of his love, which is so big that it can only be overflow, because what could contain it? Jesus' miracles with loaves and fishes and wine, too much. All of that are physical versions of this basic truth about God's nature, that God overflows overflows with grace in person. God decided before the world was made, says Ephesians, not to keep God to God's self. God did not decide to set the world going and retire back and look at it and think, "Mm, yeah, nice, good job, yeah, yeah, yeah. God's love overspills to make the world and the universe, which is why it has freedom, and it overspills because God makes it for himself, which is why it has purpose and meaning and love. In the words of the great theologian Karl Barth, who made this central to everything he wrote, God did not will to be God without us. God did not will to be God without us, his creation. God is fundamentally for his creation. God overspills. He does not keep himself to himself. Lastly, I've said will, I've said spill, I'm going for fill. God is the God who fills. In verses 22 and 23, Paul is talking about Christ. He gave him to be head over all things, head over the church, that's us, which is his body, the fullness of the one who himself fills all things. Fullness there is a special word for Paul. It's usually described, um, what you use to describe a ship, like a container ship that is absolutely loaded and pretty low in the water. It's full of fish, it's full of chickens, it's full of bicycles from China. Um, There's a whole world kind of in, in, in a ship, in a small place. Christ has made his church to be a very full ship. That's the simple, simple meaning of it. 
But the word filled there also means fulfilled um, in the sense of a harvest that's now ripe or a promise that's been kept or maybe kept even better in a better way than you ever could have imagined. Christ has made his people to be a fullness and a fulfillment. Back in verse 10, Paul has talked about Christ as the fulfillment of the times as well. So not just multiplicity of people and kinds of people and the world, but the fulfillment of times. He means not only that Christ's short life is where all of Israel's history was coming towards, and behind that all of creation was coming towards, but also that future times, including his time in 59 AD and our time in 2023, all of that takes its time and bearing and meaning from the life of Jesus. It's the fulfillment of the past and also the fulfillment of the future. You might think of it as like an hourglass into which everything is coming together and pouring through. For Christians, we are not moving away from this time of Christ, fulfilled time, in the sense of leaving it behind. Our time is the outworking, the fulfilling of what Christ has done. For Paul, that means the start of his little church in Ephesus, South Turkey, not Israel the start of this radical experiment in mixing Jews and Greeks. How the outworking in our own time means perhaps the rise of the global church or the rise of women in leadership. And it may mean that the terrible failings and cruelties and awfulnesses of our own church and Paul's will be judged by that fulfilled time too. So Paul means that Christ fulfills people and fulfills time. But I've been struck by Paul's closing phrase, the fullness of the one who fills all things. If God fills all things already, then how can the church be full? Are we somehow super full? And if when you hear the phrase, God fills all things, you get a rather unhelpful picture of a gaseous spiritual existence flowing between the atoms and the molecules, there's the feeling that God's life is somehow overfill or uncomfortable or too much. It might help to think of it this way. God's kind of life is not a physical one. It doesn't push other things out of the way. In a material world, one thing cannot take the space of another. It's either me or it's you. It's either this or it's this. But God is not material. One way to think about the relationship is that think about a painting. A painting is nothing materially but oil and canvas and paint. But the information that the painting contains is of another order entirely. It has color, it has figures, it has implications. It has background. Materially, the painting is only atoms and molecules. Or more accurately, it is only knots in the energy field. But it's also a carrier of incredibly complicated information. And the information does not dislodge or struggle for space with the paint. And that information, what it's about, is why the canvas and the paint are there in the first place. You see what I'm saying here. The relationship between God and us is not one where God pushes us out of the way. 
The spiritual isn't in competition with the material. The spiritual is like the information which organizes why the material is there in the first place. Now, imagine a, play, a, a painting that's not quite finished, what the um, uh, art historians call a cartoon. There's a canvas, and the artist sketches it, and the opening sketch immediately establishes figure, ground, line, background, foreground, and so on. The sketch is already information, which draws together the whole space of the canvas. You know this is a meaningful work. But then you can add more, more lines, more colors, more depth. You can fill it in, you can paint it more, you can add more and more layers. It gets more and more intense. When Paul speaks about us, Jesus' followers, as the fulfillment of the God who fills things in every way, this might be one way to understand filling. More and more detail, more and more color, more density, more interrelations, and none of it pushes out the actual paint of the canvas. Ephesians is about the big story of what God wills in Christ, how God overspills in grace, and how God fulfills through Christ. When we ask ourselves now, what is God's will for my life? Or how fulfilled do I feel right now? We often mentally miss that in Christ bit out. What is God's will for my life? Meaning, how can things get better for me? Can I get a new job? I don't feel very fulfilled in my relationships, meaning I need some more emotional connection. I'm losing friends. All of that is true, may well be very true, but the big story of Ephesians is that God's will, purpose, fulfillment, grace, etc., etc., for any of us, for all of us, will be in Christ, Christ-shaped, Christ-patterned. There will be love, lots of it. There will be dying. There will be rising. There will be grace. There will be temptation. There will be humility and serving, even when you're the boss. There will be being for others. There probably won't be too many gold-plated Rolls Royces. But Paul's point is this life, Christ's life, is the one that opens us up to ourselves, to the world, to history, and to each other. It makes his grace and love ripple out into the million billion thoughts and motives and feelings and actions that continually make families and continually make systems and continually make communities and continually make economies. And it's all part of Christ's action. So Paul and I pray this now. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Thank you for listening to SGTM Talks. We hope you found this insightful and inspiring and can tune in again soon. In the meantime, try out our website, sgtm.org.
Thank you.